Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. There's oh a drive, deep right field, say goodbye. Hey, Lloyd, <laughs> do some delivery for the truck to the airport. Michael Preston. I got the truck delivery airport. Former play-by-play guy, I can relate to that. <laughs> Sometimes you trip up over your words, but it still produces some pretty funny stuff. Second edition of the Kook Center Hour here in Season 3, and uh, school underway. I want to talk about that in a little bit. We got interviews with Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review. He covers the football team. Tons of really good stuff from Jacob coming up. Also, a great interview with uh, WSU head volleyball coach Jen Greeny. A great honor to have her on the show as well as we now interviewed uh, two of the non-revenue uh, coaches. We interviewed Todd Schollenberger last week, Jen Greeny this week, so... Very happy to do that here on the Cook Center Hour. So as students are now back in Pullman for the beginning of the school year, that means one thing. That means practices go closed. So we don't really know quite what's going on. Jacob Thorpe can, as he'll tell you coming up in his interview, you know, you can kind of go places where you can see what's going on, but they're not allowed on the practice field with anybody. So we still have a fair idea of what's going on at practice, but we start to get a little less of a idea after uh, starting this week. And it really what it seems to me is, is so far you haven't had and you've been able to avoid what we've seen in the past, not even last year or the year before, but uh, earlier in Mike Leach's tenure and certainly late in Paul Wolf's tenure, which was those catastrophic or bad injuries in training camp. And again, for a football team like WSU, so crucial to get through training camp without that, especially for this set of, for, or this set of first three games against Portland State, against Rutgers, against Wyoming, is that you get through it, you get through it healthy. And you get through it in a way that, you know, nobody's dinged up, everybody's feeling good, and most importantly, all your very important starters are on the field. Because as we talked about before, these first three games are pretty crucial for Washington State when it comes to getting bowl eligible. I don't think they need to be bowl eligible for the hot seat to get turned down on Mike Leach, even though there's not really a hot seat because he's open or he's under contract through 2019, but that, you know, the fans grousing about uh, his presence as the head coach at Washington State University probably needs to at least win five games um, to kind of quiet that talk down a little bit. But a bowl game would certainly be nice, and especially because after this non-conference schedule, you get your one and only bye week. And I I thought that is just the worst place for a bye week, especially for a team like WSU trying to get in on the upswing into – actually you know make a name for themselves and what is a relatively weak Pac-12 North compared to other years it's just not very good this year Oregon State's on a new coach Washington's gonna suffer because I don't know what they're gonna do offensively and they lost everybody on defense Wazoo is who they are Oregon not gonna be quite as good still probably should be good Stanford I think people are making a lot more of than um uh, than they really are and they're still Kevin uh, Kevin Hogan's still their quarterback and he's still not very good uh and then you got Cal which has a defense uh, roughly analogous to Washington State, and an offense roughly analogous to Washington State. So this is a pretty weak division this year, and I think Washington State has a chance to make some headway. But when you have to play nine straight conference games, not eight straight SEC, nine straight conference games, that is going to hurt you, especially with as young a team as Washington State has. So getting through this next week and then getting through next week, uh, the week leading up to that Portland State game, going to be especially critical just to get off on the right foot. And we've talked about before, you know, what kind of non-conference schedule do you want Washington State to have? And this is the one I want them to have. I want them to play that FCS team that's not, you know, really good, but not really bad either. I let that that Portland State that's kind of that happy medium of an FCS team that, yeah, might come in and make a little noise, but you should be able to handle relatively well like they did last year. And then you play non-conference games against teams that aren't necessarily at the top of their conference. I know they lost to Rutgers last year and Wyoming, again, a Mountain West team in a division that WSU hasn't had a lot of success against a conference rather. So I think, but they're still very winnable football games. So getting off to that really important good start and then going into that Pac-12 schedule, which is just going to be a slog no matter how you slice it. You have to go to Berkeley to start to play a team in Cal that you basically had a heart attack watching that game last year. And then you have to go to Oregon, and then you come home uh, to play Oregon State. So, And Oregon State always, for whatever reason, plays really well in Pullman. I don't understand why they do that, but it always seems like they do. 
So get through this training camp, get through these last two weeks. I guess not technically fall camp anymore. Now we're just practicing, but get through these last two weeks of practice before that opening game and get through it healthy. Get through it with everybody that you need, you know, solidly on two feet so that everybody's nice and healthy as we go into that Portland State game. And I think we'll talk about this with Jacob uh, here momentarily about the quarterbacks. Luke Falk does have a little bit of an uh, does have the upper hand right now, but I think hopefully you're going to get to see a little bit of Peyton Bender in that Portland State game. And I say hopefully because by the time the you know middle of the third quarter rolls around, the game is comfortable enough that Mike Leach can install his second string quarterback and say, "Hey, go ahead and have a little run of the field and let's see what you can do here." So. I'm, I'm hoping we get to see a little bit of Peyton Bender in that first game, but I think Luke Falk going to be the guy, and uh, we'll talk about that here with Jacob Thorpe. Momentarily, he's coming up next. Jen Green coming up after him as well. we got a loaded show for you here on the Group Center. Hour. here on the Kook Center Hour. Uh, we start off the first week of school. I think this is probably a good thing to get schooled in Washington State and how things are going with the beat writer from the Spokesman Review and friend of the show, uh, Jacob Thorpe. Uh, Mr. Thorpe, I assume you're very happy you aren't having to go up and down the Lewiston grade uh, every day now to uh, get your practice reports done. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, you know, it's a beautiful drive, and I uh, I had a, a reader actually recommend a few uh, places to eat in Lewiston that were great. The uh, the lunchbox deli was just a, a heck of a barbecue place. So it, you know, I, I had some fun in Lewiston this year, but it is an hour and a half of driving that I I won't miss. <laughs> yeah, that uh, the the hill is quite any any team who usually stayed in Lewiston, usually the baseball teams would the coaches would comment to me like. Man, that is a long. You didn't think it was that far up, but it's a long. That's a tough drive. Um, we're back to closed practices now, so um, the team no longer the media can't watch. Obviously, you guys all find a way to do it, but you're not allowed to be on the practice field. You get 15 minutes at the beginning. So, from your impressions of what you've seen of the open practices, both at Sacagawea Junior High and back in Pullman this last week. Where do you think this team is compared to last year? Are we a little further along defensively and offensively, or are we in about uh, the same spot that they were in 2014? Well, Michael, I think with Washington State, it's, a, it's, a, it's particularly tough to compare years when one of the years the team is resetting at quarterback. The quarterback is, is such a, an important part of an offense that throws so often. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, on, on the offensive line, they've improved. The running backs, it's it's all the same guys plus Keith Harrington, and they all look better. You know, the running backs improved quite a bit. Yeah. The wide receivers, even despite losing Vince Maley, they look a lot better. You know, this is by far the best I've ever seen Don Williams look, and he's been consistent. It's not Don Williams who makes a really really nice play once every three games. It's Don Williams is I would say the leader of this group of receivers. You've got Gabe Marks back, and Kyron Priester's a stud. Tyler Baker's playing well. River Craycrest's playing well. They've got a lot of guys at receiver. Mm-hmm. But that quarterback, they're taking a step back. There's just, there's just no real way around it. Um, you know, it's a fifth-year senior starter who had three years in that air raid offense, really knew it pretty cold, versus uh, a guy who showed the last year at, uh, at Oregon State and at Arizona State, he can still put up those big numbers. But I just don't expect, you know, I think there's still going to be those growing pains. I think this, this expectation that uh, there will be a completely seamless transition at quarterback is a little unrealistic. And, I, you know, I also, well, he does, well, Folk does bring a lot to the table that Connor didn't in terms of, I, I do think he, uh, he's less of a risk taker, which I think in a lot of ways Leach really likes. Mm-hmm. He runs the ball a lot more, which I think 
Leach really loves. And he's even a guy who can threaten you with his legs. You know, I, I think people kind of took Connor's arm for granted. Yeah. And a, a lot of their big drives last year, a lot of their uh, really important scoring plays, if you look at, you know, the, that's those fourth down conversions at Utah, um, you know, he let it rip. And they had a receiver in Vince Maley who could really take advantage of that. And at the college level, he was making NFL throws, and he had an NFL receiver to catch him. Yeah. I don't know that that's as much a part of their offense this year as you know putting mm-hmm. a putting a sophomore cornerback on an island and saying you're going to have to cover uh, Vince Maley over the entire top half of the field. Mm-hmm. And, you know the quarterback's got an arm to not only get it there but to get it there quickly. You're not going to be able. You're not going to have time to recover if you get beat. Yeah. That was a part of their offense last year that really really stressed defenses in a way that I don't know that they're going to be able to stress them this year. So, okay. I do I think it's a better team? Yes, and I think it's a team that's less likely to have the floor drop out on them because I think it's deeper. It's certainly going to be a better defensive team, and I think there's no way they don't force more turnovers. Yeah. But I also think you've got to expect that the offense isn't maybe necessarily going to be able to just bang, bang, 80-yard touchdown on, right. on another team. We have seen before the year started, there was kind of some thought, you know, this is a, this is the Falcon Bender show. Let's see who can compete for the starting job. And so far, it seems like in fall camp, Falk's the guy. I think we, I think we all kind of had the inclination that even though it was, you know, going to be a quote unquote kind of, well, we'll see how they do. Falk was going to have the upper hand and he pretty much seems like he's locked down that spot as starting quarterback, hasn't he? so up until last week and then they started to give Peyton Bender a few more first team reps reps mm-hmm. that he hadn't gotten all fall camp so whether that's just trying to make sure that they've got two guys ready to go because how often can you get through a season with one quarterback or whether or not he's sort of making a move and they're, they're kind of giving him a test as the starter uh, that remains to be seen Leach is not going to name a starting quarterback when we ask him he's just kind of snarky to us so it's just <laughs> uh, you know We'll see who starts when we see who starts, although right now it sure looks like it's going to be fall. Really, I, I think what you're seeing, too, is that uh, they're both talented quarterbacks, and Luke is the one who really, really puts in the work in the film room. From talking to some former players, from, from talking to some coaches, you know, Luke is the one that really works his tail off. And I think Peyton, I think Peyton is the more talented quarterback. He's, he throws a better ball. He's got a good arm. He's got unreal footwork. Uh, he can just place the ball in ways that Luke can. In some ways, he's throwing these, you know, beautiful touch passes that sail over a defender and land in the receiver's breadbasket. And Falk is more sort of throwing the ball at the guy. Right. But from from my understanding is that uh, Falk more than makes up the difference in talent with his uh, his work ethic and his uh, his ability to put in putting the extra time. Right. Now that being said, uh, the longer Peyton's around, the more just. You know, natural work he is going to get in just from going to QB meetings and practicing. So that talent may eventually uh, cause him to surpass Falk anyways. But mm-hmm. for now, I think heading into a new season with a new quarterback, having never seen Peyton do it live anyways, they're going to go uh, with the uh, the safer bet, which I think is Falk, even though I think Peyton does have more natural talent. Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review talking to us. He's the beat writer who covers WSU. Been doing a really good job with fall camp, uh, by the way, and we will continue to do a good job as the season uh, rolls on here. We've talked about the quarterback. we kind of gotten the overall look at things. The offensive line thought to be a strength so far uh, for this team because everybody, like literally everybody, is back um, from last year and always important to have everybody back on the offensive line. I think reading some of your practice reports, they've had some problems here and there with pass and rush protection, but they seem to get it all sorted out kind of when Clay McGuire gets in their face a little bit. How overall has their performance been so far in fall camp? Well, you know, Michael, a lot of what I'm kind of doing at this point is sort of comparing them to the fall camp last year. Because if you you go back and read the... uh the practice and scrimmage reports last year too there there is just something about practice where the defensive line is able to get after the quarterback pretty well and you know there's a there's a combination of obvious factors one i I would cut the number of sacks in in half in terms of sacks that would actually happen in a game yeah At, at best they're probably pressures because it's you know when you when the end goal is just to get a hand on the guy you can kind of take a different angle and run past the quarterback in a way that's different than if you actually have to worry about bringing him down mm-hmm. and their 
they're, you know, the coaches have been very, very cautious with the quarterbacks. I've seen multiple defenders get lit up for, you know, slapping him too hard, essentially, or, you know, giving him a push. So the sack numbers are a little inflated in that regard. I think the defense uh, is very familiar with the offensive line. They've they've had a chance to really practice against these wide splits. They they know what plays coming generally. Honestly, they they know if it's a pass or a run because they heard the call a thousand times. Mm-hmm. And so I I think you got to kind of take some of the uh, the really high sack numbers with a grain of salt. Uh, mm-hmm. All that being said, yeah, I think the offensive line looks you know. Really, frankly, pretty good. I uh, think you gonna expect Joe Dahl to have a really big year. Uh, Gunnar Eklund, by virtue of his size and experience, I think is going to be a solid left guard for them. And it seems like he's actually—I I really kind of like what I've seen out of him in the screen game. Uh, you, you see him getting to the second level, kind of doing stuff downfield that you never really saw before. Same mm-hmm. thing with Eduardo Middleton. And then I, I know everyone around the program thinks really, really highly of Cole Madison. Uh, thinks he's going to be an absolute stud, and just because uh, I don't want Riley Sorensen to be the the only guy to mention, and you know he he looks good too. So I, <laughs> I do think all five guys uh, are, are going to play well. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think they're having a lot more fun, frankly, now that they're running the ball more often, particularly yeah. Falkson. Uh, you know, I think it's kind of engaged them in a way that they don't engage when it's pass block, pass block, pass block, pass block. So I I think that should expect to be a strength this year they like getting downfield and hitting somebody on the second level don't they they just like doing that yeah well and you know it's what they all kind of grew up doing very few offensive linemen uh you know played in an air raid offense although i guess it's more than they they used to so it's it, I, I feel like when you become an offensive lineman at washington state a lot of the time they're telling them all right you're gonna not be in a three-point stance you're gonna wide up really you know your splits are really wide Mm-hmm. And all we're doing is pass blocking, and that's basically not what you did at all in high, in college, yeah. in high school uh, back when you were an amateur. Uh, amateur, quote-unquote. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> now they, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's getting back to peewee football a little bit. It's kind of getting out there and uh, hitting somebody smaller than you. It's getting to kind of reassert, you know, you're a big six foot five, 300-pound guy. You're used to being able to bully people. Now you're getting to do that a little bit again rather than, uh, you know, merely protect, be a bodyguard. I want to talk one one thing. We already kind of mentioned the wide receivers a little bit, and obviously having Gabe Marks back is really good off of his red shirt. River Craycraft's always Mr. Solid Hands on third down. Tyler Baker really came on last year. You got Robert Lewis there as well. How good is Kyron Priester? I mean, we've heard people rave about him and how athletic he is, and I mean, I was surprised that they got the waiver for him, but I guess I shouldn't be based on what they went with it for. How, how good is... Kyron Priester, I mean, I mean, just give me your observation on just how athletic this kid is. Well, I, I am going to kind of point out that in both the spring game and the scrimmages we've seen this year, he, he hasn't actually showed up in the way that we expected him to. So I think maybe the caveat is is that when it really gets live, once it's, once it's against like a really good defense that's locked in, I think it could, t- you know, he's still a redshirt freshman. Yeah. He's never played any more than one game last year on special teams. So it's, you know, it's entirely possible that we're building up his impact a little bit too much. And I mean, it might be time to temper expectations a little bit and just so uh, people aren't expecting him to go and, you know, get 150 yards and two receptions against Portland State, although it's Portland State, so maybe he will, yeah. but <laughs> uh, against Rutgers anyways. Yeah. That being said, in terms of just raw natural ability and talent, I, I think he's all, you know, he's certainly a, a potential NFL guy and probably the most probably the most tantalizing talent on the team in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. You know, I, if, if, Clem, if Clemson didn't have two other true freshman receivers last year that were even more highly regarded coming out of high school uh, studs that played, I, I can't imagine them letting him go as easily. He's uh, by you know he he just runs in a different way than everybody else. Right. Even on kick returns, even on punt returns, uh, he's a he's a smooth strider, but very very fast, and he has uh, just a, a lot of power. When he when he comes on a comeback route, catches the ball on a curl route, and he turns and the defender's there, the defender's taking the hit, and he's probably not making the tackle mm-hmm. uh, at least in practice most of the time. He's able to. He's able to break tackles and then be in a different place very quickly. He's got a lot of suddenness to his game, 
and he's got great hands. He's got kind of that Gabe Marks, Isaiah Myers quality where uh, you'll see the ball and he and the wide and the DB will have an equal shot at it and his hands will just, you know, he doesn't wait for the ball to come to him. He goes and gets the ball immediately yeah. and he can use the momentum from making the catch to, uh, to, you know, he can transfer that kinetic injury into making a move on the defender. Mm-hmm. And so that defender, you know, he, he rarely gets tackled by the guy who was making, who was, uh, defending the pass, I should say. So, you know, I think he's got a, a lot of natural ability. Uh, it, you know, it, it could take a while for that to really show up in games. They're still starting Dom Williams ahead of him. And like mm-hmm. I said, Dom Williams is one of the three best receivers on the team, and he's the redshirt senior versus the uh, the redshirt freshman. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's natural that you'd go with the senior. But I, I expect him to play a lot. I think he'll uh, make a big contribution on special teams, and uh, I think at least by mid-season he should really be one of their go-to guys. Jacob Thor from the Spokesman Review joining us here on the Kook Center Hour. Uh, we obviously have a different defensive coordinator this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Alex Grinch comes over from Missouri. He's been there spring. He's been here in the fall. And I think we've heard a lot about kind of how vocal he is and his emphasis on turnovers. And you touched on earlier how bad WSU was at that last year. And, in fact, something we also touched on last week with Bill Conley was they were probably the second worst team in the NCAA when it came to takeaways just in terms of even getting fumbles and then the ability to recover them and interceptions. They only had a few interceptions. It was absolutely awful. What have you seen from Alex Grinch in terms of the difference in this defense between last year and this year? What's the biggest difference? Is it that ball hawking, or is it just a general overall intensity that he's kind of bringing to the defense? Well, I, you know, it's not that Bresky wasn't intense. And I think yeah. a lot of what we're saying is that uh, Alex Grinch – by virtue of being a younger guy who's in his first season and obviously really wants to make a good impression, mm-hmm. he's very vocally hands-on. He's someone that he will get up on a player and he will make a correction. He will, you know, move his hands and legs and drag him three feet so that he's in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, Brusky had more of the, the kind of a elder statesman of the defense style. If you watch Grinch, you think you're watching the DB coach, and you think it's curious that the other coaches are so deferential to the DB coach, really, is I think the best way you can explain it. It's like you're watching a DB coach versus a defensive coordinator. And ultimately, I think what we're seeing differently defensively is I think their technique's a lot better. And to be fair to the previous coaching staff, uh, you know, a sophomore's technique should be a lot better than a a true freshman who's already playing. And so, you know, not to uh, not to act like the other coaching staff didn't work on technique, but I think you are just seeing the players in the right spots a lot more. You see them in the wide receiver DB drill, I think, is where we really get a good chance to see that they just they just have an uh, they they just play the ball better. They're on somebody's hip. They turn over the right shoulder at the right time. They've got their eyes at the quarterback when they need to. They've got their eyes on the receiver when they need to. And so it's just it's it's harder for the wide receiver, the Washington State wide receivers, to get separation than it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately that's the biggest thing that's going to be different about this defense is I just I think they're going to be in position to make a few more of those interceptions. Yeah. And as I'm as I believe Mr. Connolly pointed out, uh, they did have an abnormally low number of interceptions last year. The right. defensive backs had one, and it was against Portland State by a guy named by Charleston White who had 13 pass breakups. Now 13 to 1 pass breakups to interceptions is ridiculously bad and Charleston yeah. White's hands aren't ridiculously bad. So I think you'd expect that even if he had the exact same year as last season, he would probably come away with two, maybe three interceptions. Right. Uh, by virtue of being a year older, by virtue of the fact that, you know, they kind of didn't really know what they had in Marcellus Pippins until Arizona State, you know, he didn't come in until he didn't burn the red shirt until the very end of the Oregon State game, mm-hmm. and he comes in against Arizona State and plays really quite well. And he's only continued that he's made lots of plays on balls uh, all through camp. And so, you know, maybe if he plays earlier last season, maybe he gets torched because he was he wasn't ready, or maybe he he was just he's you know he's he's a kind of a gamer. He's somebody that's talking a lot of smack out there. He's someone that kind <laughs> of feeds off the energy of the competition. Yeah, and when he was a true freshman with guys like Naquan Brown ahead of him, maybe that didn't show up so much. But now that he's played, now that he feels like he knows he's good, mm-hmm. he's just playing at a different level. So I think you're going to see guys like that, and I just think, I just think they're better. You know, yeah. last year, uh, you know, no offense to him, God bless him, but you just you knew Tracy Clark wasn't very good. Yeah, and against Rutgers, that showed up 
you know, pretty quickly. He he was not a good enough athlete to cover Levante Carew one-on-one, and the fact that they had to ask him to to start the season meant that this defense was going to be really bad. Yeah. The fact that Teandre Caldwell, a running back, went in against that safety meant that the defense was really bad. This year, uh, this year you don't really see them having to do that with the caveat that, you know, a, a, there's still young guys and a couple injuries back there, and all of a sudden it's looking a lot like last year. Yeah. We want to talk about one other thing on the defense. Uh, the defensive line, you lose Xavier Cooper to the NFL draft. Tony Pole's out of eligibility, so he obviously can't play anymore. Um, so you lose arguably the two, not even arguably, the two senior statesmen on the line, and I think the two best players on the line, but you get a lot of experience back, and you have a coach in Coach Joe who coaches up these guys really well. How do Daniel Equali, Destiny Viao, Robert Barber, and Nalu Tapa, who I, I love just his name and the kid's size, how are how are they all looking up front? Hercules Mataafa seems to be having a good camp as well. Yeah, and you know, they, Leach has told me a couple times that even midway through last season, they, they considered burning his red shirt as a true freshman. And when you're talking about burning a true freshman defensive lineman's red shirt midway through a season, a season in which pretty quickly it was a pretty apparent probably that you you know you weren't he wasn't going to get you to a bowl game by himself uh then i think you're thinking that you know this kid may not be here for four years anyways and i think hercules Mataafa is definitely a guy that they maybe think that about yeah uh, he was very dominant in camp he was very very dominant in thursday night football last year to the point where there were a couple of those underclassmen scrimmages he just sort of ruined for everybody frankly uh, you know, the quarterback didn't get any good work in because he was just, con- you know, constantly under siege from Mataafa. So, well, I think he will. I, I think he's going to be a really good player for him. Uh, I think maybe he still needs just a little more size to hold up at that defensive end position yeah. uh, over the course of a game. But you know, th- thankfully right now they're not going to need him to because Daryl Paolo is he's, he's played very well. He's for a guy that hasn't played much in his first four years, he's playing better than I would sort of expect. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, typically if I, at this point in the guy's career, he hasn't really seen the field much. You, you just think it's probably not going to happen for him. But uh, he, he has come into camp and played well. Uh, Destiny Veo plays well when he's not limited. Hint, hint. Yeah. Been a little limited somewhat. So you, you kind of want to see what's going to happen with that. It might uh, you know, get Hercules on the field more often a little earlier than you expect. And that nose tackle, uh, you know, they've, I don't think any of them are quite, you know, the, the just the big run-stuffing body that Pole was. But I think being able to rotate Equale and Barber uh, m- maybe gives you more over the course of a game than, you know, a, a, a tired Tony Pole did. Yeah. Although later in the season they did start to uh, rotate those nose tackles in there more. And while Nalu Tapa, uh, you know, I, I think his conditioning still needs another year. I think he's one of those just humongous nose tackles that they need to, they need to, you know, kind of slim down more than build up. Yeah. You know, he's already one of the strongest players on the team. But for when he does play, he will make an impact. He'll be a great spot third nose tackle, if that makes sense. Because yeah. he's the only one that I've seen chase down a screen pass. You know, he's... He's got that kind of, you know, I hate to say Danny Shelton quickness where he's, you know, he'll make a tackle nine yards downfield. He can bring yeah. down a running back from behind in a way the other guys can't. Yeah. So he's he's not going to play a ton of snaps because he's just, you know, he, he needs a little more muscle and probably 15 pounds less of, uh, of baby fat, yeah. which, uh, you know, he's a true sophomore. That's totally to be expected when you're recruiting a big guy like that. Yeah. Uh, but I do think he will make some pretty some pretty big plays this year. Hey, if, look, if he turns out like Danny Shelton, I got no objection to that. That That's a great comparison. I'm fine with an All-American and, like, what, the whatever overall. He was in the first round with the Browns, so I, I, he turns out exactly like Danny Shelton. He, I, that's great. Um, oh, I, know, I know fans can be sensitive. So. Oh, whatever. I don't care. Um, <laughs> last question before we let Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review go. I'm fine with – if Danny Shelton's good, he's good. Um, the kicking game. We obviously did not see a lot of very good – things from it last year inconsistent would probably be a very polite word for it and I know it's kind of you know it's kind of hard to get a really good read on these guys until they're actually in a stadium with the other team rushing them and all the noise and all the pressure 
But Eric Powell's looked a little better than what we had last year so far, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. You know, he's they they have one of those uh, genie platforms down in Lewiston behind the goalposts, mm-hmm. and you know it it goes as high as the goalpost. I mean, they 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 put those cameramen way up there, and we saw Powell make a few forty-five yarders that hit the top of the genie or close to it. You know, the, the cameramen were kind of under siege when Powell was kicking. Yeah. And to, to do that, it would have to have been good from 60 yards. And he's, you know, he's, had a, he's made a good percentage, especially lately. So uh, if, if this would, was all I had ever seen of Eric Powell, I would think, oh, man, they look, you know, that, that's tall, skinny Fernie out there. You know, they look great <laughs> at kicker. That being said, you know, two for five last year, uh, with a long of 26, and he lost his starting spot and, you know, really early in the season. So yeah. uh, because of the body of work has, has been poor for Eric Powell, I think you, you don't believe it until you see him do it in a game mm-hmm. with a hostile crowd and people really bearing down on him. Yeah, But the leg is certainly there, and it certainly seems like he's figured it out mechanics-wise, everything like that. Uh, so that's the field goal kicking game. Punting game uh, in Lewiston looked, you know, for, you know frankly uh, – you know, they were uh, Michael Boland would have been starting, but uh, <laughs> over the past week, Zachary Sharmy, uh, the freshman, he's he's been punting pretty well. He uh, he gets good leg under it, but I don't think he's still placing it very well. You see yeah. balls that don't land particularly near the return man, stuff like that. I think that's still uh, going to be an issue and. I think when control's an issue, you, you kind of expect consistency to be an issue as well. Yeah. But he's got the legs. So, frankly, I'd say it's probably going to be a, a lot like it was last year and the year before. You're, you're going you're gonna to have some bad punts. I think you got to expect that. No, just, it doesn't look as dire as it did in, say, the spring when the second string uh, punter was linebacker Frankie Luvu. And behind that, they had a jugs machine, and you know the, ju- the jugs machine probably should have been starting. Are we allowed to run? The, are we allowed to put the machine out there? Can we put the machine on scholarship? Is that an allowable thing to do? <laughs> well, it's, it's it's had some trouble staying academically eligible. But so you know, I, I think you can expect mediocrity from the punt. Yeah, team, frankly, that's fair and enough. And then from the kick from the kickoff game, uh, well, so far it still kind of looks like where the the punting game was a week ago. You know, I. We, we've heard that, uh, you know, Matt Abramo was, you know, the touchback king in high school, and I think they certainly brought him in to try and, uh, you know, boot a few out of the back of the end zone here. Mm-hmm. But he, he's been sort of limited as well. We, he hasn't, he just really hasn't gotten many reps. He hasn't had a chance to, you know, stretch and flex those muscles, which means it, it's been kind of left to, to Powell and, uh, and, and Brett and Brett Schaefer and uh, Charmy to kind of try it, and so far none of them are in my mind at least, it really inspired a whole lot of confidence. So I think that's still where you're going to be a little worried about is the uh, kickoff game. And considering that the kickoff game last year led to three touchdowns, uh, you know, you better hope the coverage units are able to adjust quickly. Well, I think we'll just never punt and we'll just do onside kicks then. Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review joining us. Uh, We're going to check in with him throughout the year. As always, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Going to come back, talk to head coach of the volleyball team, Jen Greeny, coming up next here on the Food Center Hour. Back here on the Cook Center Hour, uh, we're joined now by head volleyball coach Jen Greeny. Uh, I believe this is your fifth season at the helm of Washington State. Correct, Coach? That is right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Five, five, seas- five seasons now for your alma mater. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> yes, it, it definitely takes a, a while for uh, 
you know, to put your your stamp on things and get the blueprint going, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the direction that you want. So, so far you've had uh, the your student-athletes on camp here for a little over a week uh, getting ready for uh, the season. How's camp been going so far for you guys, do you think? A pretty good camp seeing things you want to see so far from the team? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, pretty far into it, two weeks here, and, um, you know, just a, a group of eight freshmen coming in, so that's always a little bit scary. You know, <laughs> uh, you never know how it's going to go, you know, with those new freshmen trying to, you know, not only break them into just, you know, double-day practices and, um, you know, your system and the way of doing things, but, um, you know, with that many new people, um, you, you just never know how the team is going to, you know, kind of gel, just yeah. personality-wise, but, um, you know, they have been amazing. They have definitely exceeded our expectations as far as, you know, not only their abilities on the court, um, but just how, um, you know, they have been so willing to learn and make changes and just the speed at which they are making those changes has been pretty incredible. Well, I want to get, uh, we'll touch on just how young this team is here in a little bit because it is a fairly young team, as you mentioned. La- uh, in 2013, this was a five-conference win team. And again, I'll uh, later on, I'm previewing a lot of stuff here, but we'll talk about how hard this Pac-12 is. One winning conference last year. How do you kind of bounce back? And, you know, what do you kind of say to the team to kind of help get them to bounce back? Or what do you do to try to get back on that track of increasing your conference wins? Knowing that, yeah, the, you know, the conference is really tough, but trying to get back up to a, a better number wins-wise in the conference. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and I think that that is hard because especially people from the outside – um, they they really only look at that win and loss column, and, and you know I can understand why. Um, but just you know what we've done stat wise, and um, you know things like that, kind of just as a coaching staff, and for this team to show them that they really are getting better. You know there are many categories um, that we have you know gotten tremendously better at in this conference and. You know, last year was an incredible year for the conference. Ten teams going not only just to the NCAA tournament, but um, all of them went to the second round or beyond, um, which, you know, is just amazing. Um, So, you know, understanding that as well. And, um, you know, we we didn't get killed last year. That was was (laughs) the thing, and and that doesn't show up on, you know, that win-loss column either. You know, we competed um, in just about every single match and, and lost a lot of five-set matches, you know, pretty mm-hmm. close. So, um, you know, just to, I hate to say that, you know, hey, we're almost there. We're, you know, we're getting better. Just, you know, we just need a little bit more of this or that. But yeah, um, it, it really is true. Yeah. So you are, for those who may not know, as I mentioned earlier, this is WSU's your alma mater. You were on the last team to go to the Elite Eight. You were also part of the coaching staff uh, when the team was making really good tournament runs in the uh, early uh, early 2000s. Is there like a mentality difference that those teams had compared to what you've seen the last few years, or was it just a matter of maybe back then uh, it was a little bit easier to recruit to Pullman and there wasn't quite so much competition, so the easier to get the really good players to Pullman is it a mentality difference or was it what what was maybe the difference between then and now yeah um well that that team in 2003 did go to the elite eight as right. well yep. um so you know we've had um the elite eight team in 96 that i was on and then um also again um that i helped coach so both elite eight teams but mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I definitely don't think um, it's necessarily the mentality or, or easier to recruit or anything like that. But, um, you know, Cindy Frederick had built something. You know, she was here, uh, started in 1989, and we didn't go to the Elite Eight until 1996. Yeah. Um, so it, it takes time, I really think, to, to build that foundation. And, um, you know, when you are trying to to build the program um, pretty much from what we did from the ground up. I mean, we um, there were only six people on, on the team when we got here to Pullman. 
Um, you know, the previous coach had recruited, you know, 11 other players. We didn't recruit any, you know, of those kids. And so um, you definitely can't make those changes right away. Right. Um, it, it definitely takes time. And um, so I think we are now just five years later getting to the right mentality mm-hmm. and to, you know, getting those those kids to Pullman um, that should be here that are those top-ranked, you know, recruits in the country. And um, so I think back then, you know, maybe you could do it a little bit quicker then because we recruit, you know, three years out. We're recruiting freshmen and sophomores. So mm-hmm. um, it really just takes that time, I think. Coach Jen Greeny, WSU Volleyball Head Coach, joining us here in the Kook Center Hour. And, Coach, you kind of touched on this earlier and right there as well. You've been bringing in some really good recruiting classes to Pullman, and that's translated to obviously a very young team uh, with a lot of freshmen on it this year. That that changeover, like you said, it takes years uh, to kind of you know build up those players to being you know collegiate volleyball players. What would you say is the roughest transition for them from high school or club volleyball to the collegiate level, you know, I mean, it can obviously depend on position, but, you know, outside hitter, middle blocker, et cetera, et cetera. But what would you say is kind of the toughest transition from them from high school and club volleyball up to the collegiate level? Yeah, I I definitely, um, without a doubt, would say the speed of the Mm -hmm. game. And I even remember that, you know, my years from, you know, going from high school, um, you know, to college, it's just so much faster and, um, you know, even for these girls that have played really high-level club, um, you know, they would maybe be able to go to, you know, a lower Division one um, and not have too much of a change of uh, the speed of the game, but to make that jump from high school to the Pac-12, you know, mm-hmm. the, the best conference in the country for sure, um, just that speed of the game. It's, you know, these poor middles, you know, their heads are spinning a little bit right now, but that's what... <laughs> You know, we have really worked hard um, training these two weeks on just how fast yeah. they have to go. So it's not only your body um, that has to go fast, but how fast they have to think about, um, you know, the game as well and make those decisions. Yeah. You do, uh, obviously it's a very young team, but you have some important people back. You have Haley McDonald, who was your setter last year, and that's always very important to have your setter back. Kate Summers back. She was uh, the leader in digs, if I recall the stat sheet correctly. How important is it to have those two specific people back? Because I've I've seen some people kind of compare the setter to kind of be the you know the quote unquote quarterback of the offense, and you have someone who can play really good defense for you. Just how important is it to have two people like Haley and Kate back uh, with so many young players on the team? I mean, that's huge. I think, um, you know, like just like you said, those those two positions are, um, you know, really important. And, um, you know, Kate, for kind of taking the leadership of the back row, you know, she is in just about every rotation just when she doesn't serve. Um, so just to have somebody back there that has, has been there, you know, she has been a starter already for three years, started as a freshman, so just her experience alone. Mm-hmm. Um and just in practice and things like that has been, you know, I, that's really a key. And then to have your setter back, and like you said, yeah, um, just, you know, comparable to a quarterback, somebody to run your offense, um, to know what you are looking for, um, you know, that's just huge. Yeah. You also get, uh, I guess in my very biased, but I think correct opinion, you get probably one of the best outside hitters back in Kyra Holt. Just how important is she to this team? Because I'm, you know, the rockets that she can launch off of her hand just seem to be so hard to defend. And to have her back must be a real boost uh, to this team for the coming season. Yeah, definitely. You know, Kyra um, is such a key player to us, and not only um, just her front row play, but you know, her blocking improved so much last year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she's one of our primary passers as well, plays defense, has a, has a great serve. So, you know, it's those other things, too. Um, you know, not only her hitting, but, you know, she does carry a lot of the weight, um, mm-hmm. you know, from those other skills as well. Um, but, you know, I know she wasn't happy um, really with her overall numbers hitting-wise last year. But, um, you know, I think she's definitely 
made some improvements, is ready to go this year, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of ready to, to redeem herself a little bit. Head volleyball coach Jen Greeny joining us here on the Kook Center Hour. I want to get – we talked about this a little bit already, and I think folks do know this, but it's kind of even hard to grasp just how difficult the Pac-12 schedule is because I looked back last year. If you look at your – you know, the results page from last year, you just go down that list of Pac-12 teams, and there is a number by each, pretty much each and every team, and a lot of them are single-digit numbers. They are high-ranked teams very very good teams you can almost guarantee at least one or two of them is going to be in the final four every year I mean it is just a total slog to go through that schedule uh to get through this best conference in the country and so so how do you kind of combat the fatigue that comes along with uh, you know I'm sure there's a lot of fatigue that comes with you just do not get a break at at any point in the schedule starting in late September um, yeah, we don't. Um, I mean, and that's that's why people want to come and play in the Pac-12 is because yeah. it is so competitive. But you're right, we don't get um, time off. We don't, you know, have that one weekend of, you know, oh, this team's not very good. This is kind of a gimme or, you know, um, or this is an easy travel, especially for us. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't even have any travel weekends, right? we, we no. got to take a plane everywhere. Um so we don't have that time off, you know, so it mm-hmm. is um, tough to, you know, make sure we're we're mentally tough and but we're getting enough rest and recovery when we can, mm-hmm. um, you know, here on campus. And, you know, I think it's a grueling schedule. It really is. But, um, you know, especially those returners are used to that. Um, we'll definitely have to, you know, help the freshmen along a little bit on that one. I like to end interviews with uh, lighter fare because of my very hard-hitting questions that you've... Uh, I feel like Peter Jennings, kind of. Um, <laughs> um, you are one of two head coaches at Washington State, the other being June Doherty, whose husband is also on the coaching staff. Do the arguments about the team stay in bowler gym or when you're both doing the dishes can it just kind of erupt when someone drops a glass on the floor and it breaks oh man um <laughs> first of all most of those arguments come about not doing the dishes oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um no d- definitely um you know the end that's what's hard about um being married to an assistant coach is, is it just doesn't um, stay at the office. I think there's no way it can. Yeah. Um, you know, and things about our, our two daughters, they don't just stay at home either, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know it, it, it comes to the office as well. Um, but that is that is a good thing. I mean, we come up with some great ideas at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. you know, sitting around watching TV or, or whatever. Um, so I, I think it's, um, you know, if I get tired of them, I usually just end them out recruiting, you know, and that's a, you know. <laughs> Good way to get, get him out of my hair. <laughs> you know, I think my wife also wishes she could have that power sometimes. It just would you just go out and not be here anymore for a little while and just leave me alone? <laughs> right, right. All right. I mean, like I'm like, don't you need to go somewhere? <laughs> don't you? Don't you have a player well, he we could? Feels the same way. Don't you worry. Oh he yes. No, I will. You both. You both just go on recruiting trips and just all of that that two day hotel stay at the Holiday Inn. All those free cookies just they taste even better with just there yourself you there sometimes. One more question, and th- I, I, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like this one's kind of a, you know, tells me a lot about who Jen Greeny the person is. What's your favorite Ferdinand's ice cream flavor? Oh, um, I would have to say, like cookies and cream, definitely. Um, okay. We were looking for blackberry a ripple. Chocolate in it, but. Um, you know, you that's can a, never have too many, like, Oreo cookies mixed with ice cream, I don't think. All right, all right, all right. That's a I, I I was looking for Blackberry Ripple because it's obviously the best, but uh, no, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take cookies <laughs> well, I'm too. sorry. You didn't, you didn't give me that, that ahead of time. Well, no, I, you know, it's, it's, it's like Jeopardy. You gotta, you know, you just kind of got to know the right answer and that kind of stuff. I guess the right question yeah, if it's I Jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> Coach, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, hopefully we'll check in with you later on in the season, see how things are going. Hopefully very well for uh, you and the volleyball team. Thank you a lot. Okay, thank you.
We're back here on the Cook Center Hour. We're going to get to uh, Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything momentarily. But I do want to, I want to, you always wax nostalgic if you're an old alumni like me. And I realize I'm getting a lot of eye rolls from people who are actually older than me. But uh, this last Monday, uh, school started at Washington State University again. And so the class of 2019 now on campus uh, for the first time. And we're getting close to... Uh, at WSU, uh, the class of 2022 are going to be people born in the 2000s. Um, but So we're getting there. We're getting pretty close. Now we're people born late in the Clinton, Clinton administration are uh, actually probably born right at the time of the Monica Lewinsky scandal if you're getting to school right now. Um, so you always wax a little poetic about your time at Washington State. I know you don't want to hear it from the old guy if you're just starting out at school. And if you are just starting out at school, you made a great choice to listen to the finest in podcast programming about Washington State Athletics. So kudos to you. You're already making great decisions at Washington State. Um, you know, I you always want to wax poetic about, you know, your first day. And I'll be honest, my first semester was tough. I had never really been away from home at all. I had a hard time adjusting uh, to life in Pullman. It was a, it was a really difficult adjustment, adjustment for me. So I, I say this and give advice to the people who maybe struggling like I did, uh, you know, being away from your parents for an extended period of time for the first time, being away from everything you really knew and were comfortable with. I'd grown up in the suburbs of Seattle, so even though my suburb, Woodenville, was relatively tiny, it still was not nearly as isolated or alone as Pullman. Get out and go join clubs. Do after, you know, extracurricular things to go do. Leave your door open in your dorm. I realize that kind of sounds stupid, but just leave your door open. People can poke their head in and say hello. Try to, you know, make friends as best you can in that way. When you're sitting down in class next to someone, say hello, introduce yourself, strike up conversation about something, about how goofily your professor's dressed or how much you can't understand the Stats 212 professor who is not teaching you anything like I did my freshman year. Go to clubs, join a club, do something extracurricular. For me, it was radio and TV, so I joined Cable 8 and KUGR. That might not be your thing, and that's fine too. Go and do something like that. Make it easy to adjust to life in Pullman for yourself. And the best way to do that is to know people to distract you, to have friends to distract you, to get out there and meet new people. And that's the biggest part about college is you're out there meeting new folks and really kind of, rounding out who you are as an adult by the time you get out of college. I was a completely different person once I graduated from the person I was as a freshman. My wife would never have dated freshman me, but she did date second semester sophomore me. I mean, that's how much I think I changed in just a year. This is going to be good for you. Washington State University is such a unique experience for any college student. Being able to be that far away from home and your parents don't really have, they can't oversee you. You can do whatever you want. You're responsible for everything. You're responsible for yourself. And it feels good for the first time to do that. But if you're having trouble, if you're having a hard time, just know, and trust me, it's going to get better. It's going to get easier. You're going to meet people. Just be yourself. Being yourself. Don't try to be anybody you're not. I know, again, it sounds stupid, but just be yourself. Get out there and put yourself out there. You'd be surprised how much more tolerant college kids are generally than high school kids. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly serious about that. There are still some knuckleheads. But get out there, leave your dorm door open, and for God's sake, strike up conversation with people, introduce yourself. You're going to find that that's, I really think, the best way to do it. And I'm just waxing this. I miss Pullman. End of four years, you're really going to miss it. Trust me, seriously, you will. You're going to wish you'd taken your master's course, but then realize you didn't want the crippling debt that went along with it. Dunderhead of the Week coming up, and so is Ask Michael Anything. Final two segments here on the Coop Center Hour. Stick around.
Oh, it's our Dunderhead of the Week time, and uh, do you really even have to ask? Get ready to ride on, baby. Let's go. <laughs> it's just. Oh, Sark. Oh, honey. Just. Maybe stay away from the fireball at the alumni functions, yeah? Or, like, the big pep rally thingies. I thought Patron was a problem. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I know he's not at the U anymore, but it's still, uh... This is something I think brings Cougs and Huskies together. I think the Huskies got a little sick of Sark, even with the 9 and 4 years last year. And, you know, this, uh... This kind of brings us all together to momentously mock this dude. <laughs> God. Maybe try not to get drunk, or at least do it at an event where no one's going to be filming you publicly. Right in to ask Michael anything. Let's do it. First question from at Coach Sark. Michael, how much booze can... No, I'm just kidding. That would be funny as hell, though, wouldn't it? That would be very funny. First question is actually from uh, at Wazoo's Joe Boo. He's got a couple. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Is Joe Flacco elite? Is chili a soup? Hell no, it's not a sandwich. Is Joe Flacco elite? I mean, IMO he is. And is chili a soup? I, uh, people have had, like, it doesn't belong in the soup section of a menu. I, I don't think so. It's not, is it like a soup? It's more like a stew. You wouldn't put a stew in soup, right? I don't think you would. At under at Brett underscore Gleason, would you rather eat your favorite food for every meal the rest of your life or never eat your favorite food again? It's got to be never eat your favorite food again. Because eventually, I would get sick of tachos. No, you know what? I would never get sick of tachos. I'd eat tachos for every meal. If you don't know the wonderfulness that is tachos, go to your nearest establishment with tachos and purchase them. Because... Your mind will be freaking blown. Two questions from our head editor. I don't really know what you call him. Uh, the managing editor, the head managing editor, the edited father. Jeff Newser. Which is worse, the fire smoke smothering Western Washington or the smog layer that smothers LA every day? Obviously, the smoke in Eastern Washington a lot worse from all the fires. Uh, but living in LA, I've actually I actually never saw a day in a year and a half, roughly, where it was as bad as it was in Seattle on Sunday. Legitimately, I'd never seen a day that bad. Another question: You can only have one a national championship and never another winning season, or go to a bowl game every year, no natty ever. I still get to go to the Rose Bowl with a bowl game every year, right? I get to go to the Rose Bowl occasionally. Give me that. At Aaron Han Media, did you know Fallout Boy sampled the theme from the Munsters for a song? I didn't even remember that for centuries. That was really bad. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry. No. Uh, at Coog0818, Eric S. Smith, what is your favorite game day beer and why? I actually like, because I haven't been able to make it a Pullman as much because I work on the weekends, I like, you know, Manny's and, and uh, Mac and Jack's for my game day beer, but... If I were in Pullman, nowadays it'd probably be Miller Lite. Good cheap beer, a little better than Bush, and I just like it a little bit better. You know, that kind of thing. Woo! Next week is game week here on the Cook Center Hour. Thanks for listening.